Good morning, Peninsula. How are we today? You don't have to answer that. We are exploring some issues together uh, where the evangelical church in America is drifting maybe toward a little bit of heresy. So the series is called, Really, the State of American Theology. And the reason this series is important because Paul is very clear that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers that, that, that will teach things that, that their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Christianity Today wrote an article about this survey that they did last, last fall between uh, Ligonier and um, Lifeway, Southern Baptist Press. And so they, they highlighted five of these areas, and we're looking at some, we'll look at a few more um, as we move forward. This week, the survey asked believers to react to this statement, and the statement is this, the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 60% of evangelicals responded that they believe the Holy Spirit is not a personal being, just a force. They would agree with that statement. Now, to be fair, the Spirit of God is often described as an impersonal force in the Bible, a cloud or, or um, a wind or a dove or fire or water. But those are just metaphors for the presence of the Spirit to help us understand kind of what's going on in, in language we can relate with. So let's think about it maybe from a slightly different angle. What grade would you give us about our knowledge of God the Father? How, how much do we know? What, where are we in that? Well, I'd probably give us an A. How much do we know about Jesus? What's our theology? How much? I, you might even go to A-plus on that one. Now, how much do you know about the Spirit? As much as you know about the Father? As much as you know about the Son? Well, God the Father, we know about Him. God the Son, we know even better. But the Holy Spirit is kind of a different story. He is the God we hardly know. Acts 19 records the story of Paul's first visit to Ephesus. He met some disciples of John the, Baptist, John the Baptist. When Paul asked if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed, they replied in total honesty, Acts 19.2, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Apparently some 2,000 years later, we're not very better off, are we? We know about the Trinity, even if we can't explain it. But most of us would be hard-pressed to pass a midterm exam on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Is he merely a force or is he a personal being? Now, did any one of you defy gravity this week? Anybody defy gravity? Well, from time to time, I do. Don't you? Well, not on my own, I don't. I need some help. To defy gravity. We need some help from a power outside of ourselves. And the problem for many people is that the power it takes to defy gravity is invisible. 
Hence, people drink before they defy gravity. Some prefer to take the train. To defy gravity, you got to get in an airplane, or I guess a well-made Chinese balloon. I don't know. <laughs> but the invisible force of air will keep us afloat. And yet air is a force of incredible strength, even though we can't see it. It can snap a tree in two. It can wreck your landscaping at home. In the right conditions, it can, dare, can tear down your house or, or knock over a fence. And yet it's all just air. That's all it is. You cannot feel it. You cannot see it or smell it. Well, we could, we could see it growing up in L.A. It's a little better these days. We used to be able to see air in this place. But even though, unless you have very technical equipment, I understand, you can't measure it normally. Normal people can't. But it does something. It keeps us alive every minute of the day. Without air, see ya. Never think that because something is invisible that it is unimportant or weak. And the Bible talks a lot about air. In the Old Testament, it is called ruach. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, and the, we get the word pneumatic from the, from the Greek word for air. Now, the English Bible doesn't translate it as air. Usually, it is breath. God breathed into the man the breath of life. Or wind, like a mighty wind. Or it uses the word spirit, as in the spirit of a man, or the Holy Spirit. So I understand the confusion regarding the identity of the Holy Spirit. But into that confusion, I hope the Bible can speak some clarity into our lives. Because we can't try to explain the Holy Spirit by just cataloging our past experiences. That doesn't cut it. So we're going to look this morning at three erroneous ideas and see if we can correct them today. And so we begin with the heart of the matter. Number one, this is what we have to say. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a him. Well, I guess I should have fixed. These, these sermon slides and your sermon notes are a total mess this morning. And it's not the office's fault. It's the Spirit's fault. He moved in me yesterday, and I fixed the sermon that was really boring and made it more interesting, which you can judge later. Um, so, yeah, they might not match. Deal with it. That's all I have to say. So, how do we draw the, the conclusion that the Spirit is not an it, but a person? Oh, it is? It, oh, my notes even say what that says. So, you're not the only one that's confused right now. I can't even blame the drugs because I am not on any, <laughs> yet, yet. I'm having surgery, so in case you think I'm an addict, don't worry about it, I'm not. This is really going far off a field. So how do I know that the Holy Spirit is not just a force? Well, I'd have to look at whether or not the Spirit in the Bible and the description of the Spirit contains contains um, characteristics of a person. 
Is he, is he more just of a power or of an influence? Because some people do call him an it. I find it interesting that the average Christian, if you think about the Holy Spirit, most of them would think of what? The force. Star Wars. The force be with you. The Holy Spirit be with you. Some neutral, invisible spiritual power. Some energy out there in the world that, you know, is old. I don't know. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. And it does the Bible then talk about it in terms that, that are personal, that, that describe him as a person. And I, yes, it does. So at this point, I have planned to say, ignore your sermon notes. I got lost in the weeds in the John stuff. And I, I was like, oh, I'm, this isn't going to go well. So I'm going to make three points that aren't there, but they are there. Number one, he is intelligent and he has an intellect. Okay? If you're going to say he's a person, you do that by saying, okay, does he have intelligence? Does he have an intellect? 1 Corinthians 2.10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, the same... The, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You see, wind, air, is not intelligent. It has no intellect. It just doesn't pick, you know, um, trailer parks to hit with, with, with tornadoes, you know? Seems like that sometimes, but it doesn't choose that. The Spirit knows he has intellect. Second, I know he's a person because he has feelings. Just like when someone does something that causes sadness or causes us grief, okay, we also produce that similar emotion in the Holy Spirit when we hurt other people or if we reject Him. Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make Him sad with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit, therefore, it reacts to what we say, what we do. The wind does not react to what we say or do. Only something personal can react to human responses. Number three, he has a will. The Apostle Paul describes the Holy Spirit as someone who wills or determines how he distributes spiritual gifts within the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. These are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them each to and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He decides. He has a will. And sometimes we personify inanimate objects to give them a will, but they're really just responding to other forces of nature, not the spirit. Wind cannot decide where to blow, when to start, when to stop. It's, it's just a, a part of the creation. But Paul says the Spirit can. He can decide who gets what spiritual gift. So he has to have a will. He has to be personal. And it's going to make a huge difference in your life if you believe that you're being indwelt and led by a personal spirit. Not some impersonal force from a distant God. But you're being led and, and, and indwelt by a person who is, in his essence, 
the love of God. It's not an it. It's a him. Number two, we can kind of go astray. The Holy Spirit is not imaginary, but real and relevant. Just because you cannot see the Holy Spirit, you do not assume that he's not real and that he's not relevant to our life. Just before Jesus returned in the ascension, he met with a group of his followers in the Mount of Olives. They had questions. He had answers. He also had some crucial news about the Holy Spirit, who would soon come to take his place. Acts 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When is this happening? He said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Very familiar passage, packed with significance. To Jesus, the Spirit was not some imaginary, vague force. Not just some hope. He was promised to come by the Savior himself. It's as if Jesus was saying, you will have my presence wherever you go. He will be in you. He will empower you. He will be your dynamic, a real and relevant force for my plans as you go into the future. He believed the Holy Spirit was real, that he was relevant. And if Jesus believed that, so do I. Third area to discuss today is the Holy Spirit is not a substitute for God, but he is God. He's not a substitute. I think this concept of his deity will heighten our respect for the Holy Spirit's work, if nothing else will. We are well known for fighting for the deity of Christ, and we should. That's a, that's a valid thing to fight for. But what about the deity of the Holy Spirit? Tucked away in the book of Acts is a very familiar story that we don't read all the time because it's, you know... It's about the early church and how one couple paid the ultimate price for being hypocrites. And woven into this story is a statement about the, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Everybody was selling the property and giving everything to the church. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Well, I didn't sell it for 100 grand. I sold it for... 75 grand, so you can have 75 grand. And with his wife's, I read that part. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? He knows what's going on. You've lied to him and have kept some of the money for you. you received for the land. You kept it for yourself. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Yeah. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted with the money. What made you think of doing such a thing, of saying it's one thing, but it's not? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. So if he lies to the Holy Spirit, and if he lies to God, it's the same thing, same lie, then the Holy Spirit's God. That's just one line of argument for his deity. His names, there's three others, I mean, his names show his relationship to God. Acts 16, 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to come. This is the spirit so associated with Jesus. His names show him related. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You're in relationship there. John 14, 6, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's another of the same kind. You're going to have an advocate just like me, Jesus says. It's in the person of the Spirit. His names show this intimate relationship with his deity. His actions, he, only, he, he does what only God can do. He was the cause of the virgin birth. Luke 1, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Well, that's kind of a God thing. He was the agent in inspiring the scriptures. 2 Peter 1, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through hum, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He was involved in creation. Genesis 1, now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, there is some debate whether that's God, because God is spirit. Is that God the Father, or is it the Spirit? Theologians have wrestled with that, and once you add in the, the testimony in the New Testament, it certainly seems like that's the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't have gotten that without, I don't think, the New Testament and its light that it sheds. But his actions, those are things only God does. And then third, I think he's associated with the other persons of the Godhead. You've got to look at these texts and say they're all three equal. Matthew 28, 19, you know it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's not Father, Son, and Spirit. They're equal. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Trinitarian statements, they're equal. If the Son is equal from eternity with the Father, as John 1 makes clear, then the Holy Spirit is from eternity just as equal. According to Romans 8, the Spirit of Christ is one and the same as the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says this, <clears throat> You, however, are, con are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. These, these words are all interchangeable. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit our human spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Spirit of Christ is one and the same as the spirit of God. He's divine. He is God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is a him. He is real. And he's God. Now, this is not a, a comprehensive study on the Spirit. We've left a lot out about the Spirit. We didn't talk about what He does and his, his role within us. But if you put together what we have said, what do you get? Since the Holy Spirit is a person, you can have a personal relationship with Him. Since He's real, there ought to be nothing fake about our interactions with Him. And since he's God, then the power of God is within us. 
And as we interact with the Spirit, we're coming into personal contact with the God of the universe. That's an amazing truth. And it's very unfortunate that so few Christians understand how the Holy Spirit can be an agent of change in our lives. We should be relying on his wisdom much more than the world's wisdom. But let me ask you a burning question. What was burning in my mind? Bonus material, not in your notes. Why is this important? Why does it matter? For three reasons. It matters as we worship. If the Holy Spirit is a person alongside the Father and the Son, then he deserves to be worshipped alongside the Father and the Son. And if we treat him as just an impersonal power or a force from the Father or something like that, we are going to be robbing the Spirit of the honor due his name. He is, as we learned last week, he is of the same substance as the Father, like Jesus was of the same substance. Therefore, he is worth the adoration and honor and glory and majesty that the divine person is worth. And if you miss that the Spirit is a person, a divine person, then you're missing out on worship in truth. You're missing out on the joy of knowing him, not just for what he does, but for who he is. Second, it matters as we impact the world. You see, from the Holy Spirit comes the power to do all that God has called us to do in the world. But if we think that Spirit is just a mere force, then we're going to be constantly asking silly questions like, how can I get a hold of the Holy Spirit to use Him? Wait a minute, what? That is the question Simon the Magician asked in the book of Acts. We should instead be asking, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me? How can he use me? See, the difference between these two questions is the difference between a pagan use of the divine and a biblical understanding of God as Lord. You have two options if you're going to explore the Spirit's role in your ministry. How do I get more of the Spirit? Or how can the Spirit get more of me? And if you're always asking how to get more of the Spirit, I think you're following the path of pride. Because you want to, you know, get more so you can become this deeper level, higher, whatever Christian. But when you understand the Spirit as a person, you realize you have to humble yourself before He can ever use you. He is the one who comes and takes hold of us. He fills us. He indwells us. He glorifies Jesus through us as he wills. The whole idea of the spirit filling is an issue of control. What's the illustration? Wine or the spirit? How many of us are much more controlled by wine than we are of the spirit? It's an issue of control. Who gets the reins of your life? It matters as we attempt to impact this world. 
It matters as we worship. It matters as we impact the world. Number three, it matters as we walk with Jesus. You see, if we know the Holy Spirit as a person, it means we have the prospect of deep fellowship, of joy, and of love as we come to know the God who lives within us. God doesn't come to us through some secondary intermediary of an impersonal variety. He does not speak at a distance then relate to us from far away. Instead, the Father, the Son, have sent the Spirit to dwell within us. Another advocate, a counselor, who comes to inhabit us and bring us the very life of God within us. It matters in our daily walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's a person and that matters. And now I want us to to explore this much more personally. So I'm going to ask you some questions. We're back to the sermon notes. Write these down. Think about them this week. As you're alone with God, just explore these questions. Question one is this. In the past, has it been hard for you to think about the Holy Spirit as a person rather than just as a force or a presence? Has that been hard for you? Be honest. What have we said this morning that that might have challenged that thinking? Do you have a realization that you can relate to the Holy Spirit as a person who is separate, distinct from God the Father and God the Son? What would help you be more aware of this distinction as you think about it in the Trinity? In a couple of weeks, Andrew, God bless his soul, will tackle the issue. Is God really three in one? Good luck with that, Andrew. (laughs) But take, take some time between now and then to think deeply about the fact that our God is a personal God who has revealed himself, Father, Son, Spirit. Not different roles. Well, I won't preach his sermon for him although I want to. Question one, has it been hard for you to really think about the Spirit as a person? Question two, is the Holy Spirit a real and relevant force in your life? It's one thing to say it from the pulpit, but is he really a force in the way you live? It's gonna take some thought. You need to to get a piece of paper or get your journal out or get your, your, your spiritual life notebook or whatever. Take some time this week. Jot down five big challenges you're facing this week. Number them. Make it an actual list. What are the biggest challenges you face? And when you do that, do you feel the weight on your shoulders? Do you feel the the heaviness of those daily struggles? That tightness in the pit of your stomach? Let that heaviness force you down to your knees and ask God at that point to show you what it means to have the Spirit of God living within you. Ask Him to shoulder those constant struggles. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And make a decision that I'm going to give, I'm going to yield those challenges to the help 
of the Spirit. I'm going to give them to this invisible yet limitless power. And don't get up from your knees until your shoulders feel lifted, your heart feels lifted. Is he a real and relevant force in your life? Is he someone you can depend on, even with those five big challenges? Question three, do you realize any difference in the way the Father and the Son and the Spirit relate to you in the Christian life? I kind of mentioned that already. Think about it this week. How do you relate to the Father? How do you relate to the Son? How do you relate to the Spirit? Are you even aware of any differences? Number four, I don't know that you have four on there, but you have four now. Do we honor the Spirit? Oh, I don't think I put any numbers there, did I? That's the best kind of sermon notes ever from my perspective. Number four, because there used to only be three. Number four, do we honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing and relying on his work? Or do we slight him when we ignore him? We can do this on our own. And we just honor Jesus and not the Spirit. How about in your faith? Do you acknowledge the authority of the Bible in your life? Or as you read the Old Testament with all its laws and its prophecies and you yawn and you just overlook it. Or as you read the story of Jesus in the New Testament. The entire book was inspired by the Spirit. All of it. And if that's true, then do we read the whole thing with reverence and openness of heart? Because if we don't, we're dishonoring the Spirit who superintended intended its, its authorship. What about in your life? Do we apply the authority of the Bible and live by it? Whatever anyone else may say. Do we recognize that the God's word, it cannot be anything but true? And will we stand behind it? Because if not, we dishonor the spirit who gave us the scriptures. What about as we witness, as we share our faith, do we realize, you know, it's just the Spirit. It's only the Spirit that can change a heart. It's only the Spirit that can, can convince someone of the truth of God. It's only the Spirit that can change the heart of your spouse. It's only the Spirit that can take the Scripture and change someone. Do we trust the Spirit to do His work, or are we going to trust our own cleverness and our own ability to, to convince someone with this wonderful argument? If we rely on our own ideas, we dishonor the Spirit. We need to be convinced that the Spirit is a Him, that He is real, and that He is God. And we need to get on our knees before him and humble ourselves that the spirit of God might understand in new and for that we might see and understand the work of the spirit in new and fresh ways among us. Will you ask God to let the spirit teach us that we can enjoy a fresh, fresh relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit in our midst? I am not seeking anything charismatic. I am not a closet charismatic. But I do think we should ask God to do what he's done in the past and do it for us. 
for us to see the Spirit's work, to understand who He really is, and give Him the freedom to do something new and fresh among us. The symbol of the Holy Spirit is God's wind. It ought to encourage us. How do we need that, that fresh wind of the Spirit? He's real and He's God. And we need to get on our knees and humbly submit to Him. He alone can wake us up from a state of, of spiritual apathy. He alone can take those toxic fumes of, of unbelief and carnality in our lives. He's the only one who can bring the fresh aroma of heaven back into our lives. I commend you to the Holy Spirit as the power that we need to live on this earth for Christ. He has to control every aspect of our lives, from the raising of our children to, to the caring of our aging parents. We need to be changed, and only God can change us. And when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows on us, He, he clears out all the cobwebs our doubt and discouragement. He, he cleans out the filth of sin and compromise. He prepares us for the outpouring of His Spirit. I say, O oh, wind of God, blow on us. Let us bow in Your presence and submit to Your will that we might be controlled by Your Spirit. Let's pray. Father, blow upon us today. We <clears throat> probably came in here understanding all of this already. And maybe it's nothing new. But for me, it was a fresh reminder this week of who you are. Of how much we don't honor the Spirit. But today we submit ourselves to him. We thank you for his presence in us and among us. And we ask that he might, as the metaphor says, blow afresh and clean in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen.